The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Did you know farming can? Of course you did, but how? We know we've got a fantastic message to spread as an industry, but sometimes it gets drowned out by misinformation and negative perceptions about farming. That's a really important part of the campaign. It's been a busy year for the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. 229% increase across the last five years, which is really very concerning. And we are seeing far greater number of people who, when they come to us, the problems they come with are more complex. So there's more going on. And people are at crisis point when they, they come to us. We'll We'll do an end-of-term report and hear LRSN's plans. Plus, we'll talk potatoes, agronomy advice, the markets and the week's farming news. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. What a wet few days. Thank you, Babette. Looks like there's more to come. The week's forecast at the end of the programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Welcome to the Farming Programme podcast. In the news this week, turkey farmers are hoping for a better Christmas after a drop in cases of a virulent strain of bird flu that led to culls and a bird shortage last year. 16 new outbreaks since August, compared to nearly 90 in the same period last year. And scientists also said they've discovered signs of immunity in wild birds previously spreading the virus. The public's also again being encouraged to buy their Christmas turkey direct from the farm. The NFU's hashtag BuyMyTurkey campaign is back from the 17th of November. Over 240 farms are involved and there's an interactive turkey finder tool on countrysideonline.co.uk. UK. The first farmers are starting to receive the SFI early payments worth 25% of the annual value of farmers' agreements. They've been made a month after the start of applications. And if your agreement started on the 1st of October, you should have received your first payment. According to DEFRA, there have been over 14,000 registrations of interest and almost 1,000 applications submitted since the scheme started accepting applications. From the end of this week, you'll no longer need to submit a registration of interest. You'll be able to apply directly online. The supply of winter bean seed for the autumn drilling campaign has been secured following a successful request for a derogation permitting a modest quantity of winter bean seed to be sold with a germination rate of 70%. The AIC made the request on behalf of its member businesses in the certified seed sector and they said some winter bean seed germination rates were lower this year following what they describe as a catchy harvest due to the weather. The derogation should mitigate the potential for significant disruption to bean seed supply. Now, do you know that farming can? Of course, we all know that. But does the non-farming public... It's always important to spread the word about British farming, raising awareness of the vital work you do, feeding the nation, protecting our environment and providing millions of jobs. Run by the Farmer's Guardian, Farming Can is a campaign to do just that. Editor Olivia Midgley joins us this morning. Olivia, who's this awareness campaign aimed at? It's all about tapping into those people from non-farming audiences and really demonstrating what farming um, and farmers deliver for society so things like the role that they play within education uh, within contributing to the economy and how farming can provide really rewarding careers it's a really nice quite a feel-good campaign um, and hopefully doing some good as well so we've got things like open farm sunday and so on which do a brilliant job of promoting what you've just said but this is an online campaign What's it hoping to achieve? Is there a sort of objective purpose target for this? 
Yeah, I think the key thing really for this, it's about raising awareness of, of what agriculture is and what it does and, and what it can do as well. We launched it a couple of years ago and it, and it was all about kind of trying to get into the national press, which we did, which is obviously a really effective tool. But this year, what we've decided to do is use some key ambassadors. So we've got a wealth, haven't we, of, of farming uh, celebrities, if you will, with huge followings on social media. So what we're doing is we're using these influencers to tap into to, to those you know those farming audiences but but critically those non-farming audiences as well because we know that combined they've got millions of followers so that's a really powerful thing and we've this this week we, we kicked off with Caleb Cooper which who I'm sure quite a lot of your listeners will know as being one of the standout stars from Clarkson's Farm which has been such a huge hit on, on Amazon Prime. I think people like Caleb can do such a, a wonderful job because they just tap into an audience that we probably never could do so um, it's great to have people like Caleb on board. And you're talking about having a, a positive, feel-good campaign. There's almost an aura of positivity around Caleb, isn't there? <laughs> I think there has to be, doesn't there, working with Jeremy Clarkson, <laughs> who is kind of the antithesis sometimes. Um, but yeah, seeing them together, they came to the British Farming Awards a couple of years ago, and the, the dynamic between them is is exactly how you see it on, on the TV. Um, Caleb is just so enthusiastic, so positive about the industry. Um, and some really interesting uh, chat that we had had with him this week, he actually started in, in dairying. Um, so he's, he's known for being a real, you know, um, advocate for arable farming and loves and loves you know plowing and harvesting and everything but actually it's dairy where he he really got that first break so yeah I'd really urge your listeners to, to have a read of that because it's a really nice interview about you know just how he got started and, and his career so far we've got to remember he's only 25 so he's he's got a you know massive um huge exciting career career path um to go down so you know it's it's really great that he's on board with this and who's the campaign aimed at are we aiming at the general public or are we aiming at people who don't know much about the countryside what's the target audience yeah i think i think you're right it's it's both actually it's about trying to get to where where the people are and and spread these messages it, it's changed so much in the last few years well even in the last year with with social media and and how different platforms are serving different audiences so what we're trying to do is be exactly where all those different people are because we know that you know for example for under 25s it's TikTok um, where they're getting the most of their information you know even the news as well so we have to remember that and we have to be quite agile in how you know where we're targeting those people with our messaging and, and how we develop that for different platforms so yeah it's quite a nice campaign this because you know, by using ambassadors and tapping into their followings, you can quite easily manoeuvre um, and and spread your message to, to those people. Do you feel that there's still some disinformation about farming out there, some misunderstanding of what farmers do and the, the whole industry? Yeah, so one of the, the things that farming can was set up to do was actually to combat misinformation. We know we've got a fantastic message to, to, to spread as, as an industry, but sometimes it gets drowned out by misinformation and negative perceptions about farming. So that's that's a really important 
part of the campaign also addressing stereotypes as well you know farming is a very diverse um, and, and inclusive industry I think sometimes the perception of that is the opposite which is a real shame and it's something that we're really trying to, to turn around so it's all about celebrating people from different backgrounds different people coming through the ranks of the industry and and making sure that we shore up the industry with the workforce that we need for the future so that's so important as well we need such a wide range of back people from back different backgrounds with different skills that we can make sure that we have a, a really vibrant industry that we need to make agriculture you know successful as it can be in the future because there is still this perception isn't there of a farmer being a big bloke with a tweed jacket on and wellies and his wife's back in the kitchen doing the cooking it couldn't be much further from the truth these days, really. Def- definitely not in my house. You're absolutely right, Steve. And, it, and it's it's a shame, isn't it, that we're in 2023 and, and people still have such out, outdated perceptions. Keep saying, you know, we, we've made so much progress already, but there's still a long way to go. And the best way to do that is with campaigns like this, you know, for everyone to get behind them and um, to be open to listening. The the education piece is, is a huge thing as well. I think people do want to learn. People do want to know more and be informed and, and obviously that's what we're here to do. Absolutely and so how do farmers get involved in this? How can they support it? What do you want from a farmer? The hashtag which is uh, you your listeners will see on social media it's hashtag farming can so if you search that on on the variety of different platforms you can find out loads of information and obviously head to our website which is farmersguardian.com forward slash farming can so there's loads of information there about how you can get involved just getting involved in the conversation and being quite proactive and you know being willing to have those discussions with people who you know on on the most part do just want to learn more about our brilliant industry and the people the people behind it yes you know we've seen haven't we some debates using the term lightly but you know there can be quite sort of uh, intense debates sometimes that we see on social media but I think for the most part the, the general public do you know there is a real inquisitiveness there and I think they do just genuinely want to know more. And you've got some fairly significant partners involved in this haven't you? We have, yes. So we're we're really fortunate that we've got the backing of some, you know, really, um, as we call them, heavyweight sponsors, you know, like the co-op, AHDB, campaigns like Love British Food and the Royal Countryside Fund, which was the formerly the, the Prince's Countryside Fund, the farming charities, which which back us as well. And then we've got LEAF um, and the National Trust. You know, it's, it's trying to find a, a real cross section of sponsors who all tap into to different audiences and different markets so for example you know national trust is a, is a really important one for us because you know not only are they one of the biggest landowners in the country but the the, the footfall that they receive from you know just the general public to, to tap into their audience you know there are millions of people that that come onto national trust property uh, every week is a really powerful tool for us and um, so it's so important that we've got the support of you know those really kind of heavyweight backers and this is an ongoing campaign it's not just for a week or two weeks or anything like that yeah so this this will continue um hopefully for, for years to come so we, we started it a couple of years ago and it was on the back of covid actually there was a really nice piece in the times about kind of how 
you know, butcher shops had seen this huge revival since COVID, which um, I'm pleased to say has continued because once people have that really positive experience, it's something that they, you know, they want to continue. That was a really positive thing. This year, it's all about kind of using those ambassadors with those those big social media followings. So I think, you know, it's, it's given it a, a new lease of life really for this year. So hopefully, yeah, it, it will continue. Good stuff. Well, let's uh, all join together and spread the word about what a wonderful industry we've got and how positive it is. And yeah, nice feel good campaign. That's great. Just remind us again where we can go for more information. Yep. So just head to farmersguardian.com forward slash farming can and head to the hashtag farming can on all social media platforms. Olivia Midgley from the Farmers Guardian and Farming Can, definitely. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thanks, Steve. Time to don the wellies and waterproofs for another look at the crops with some timely agronomy advice, our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Morning, Steve. Yeah, a bit tense out here at the minute for several reasons, but the one common thread that runs through it is, of course, the weather, particularly on farms where the drill's been delayed to a much more blackgrass-conscious time rather than in the mid-September territory on the boys' land because, of course, now it's come way too wet to drill. So the complication we now have is that the weather has once again delivered another stormy wet week with Storm Babette touching down on Wednesday and seriously wetting things down once again and that's frustrated the drills again so there's a lot of hindsight farming and head shaking going on out here but if we're going to be honest about it then there really haven't been that many opportunities to put much more in the ground than we already have done 40 to 50 percent of my wheat crop now in it I guess so considering what the weather's given us to work with so far I don't think we could have done much better than we have so a properly wet last few days looks likely we're not going to get started again much before the last week of October now and with day length shortening day night ambient and obviously soil temperatures falling because of that we've had a couple of white rime frosts as well this week don't forget the first frost of the season so things have really changed from that point of view now as we head into autumn proper understandable then that there's a simmering undercurrent of impending doom panic anxiety on many farms who have yet to drill autumn cereals but the black grass has flushed well in the stale seed beds which have now done their job so at least we can get some glyphosate on and start clean when we finally can travel again one and a half leaves where mine went in three to four weeks ago aphids still easy to find far too easy in many fields and manganese deficiencies showing up on some of the lighter land bits too and don't confuse that with herbicide uptake which is quite widespread as well thanks to the heavy rain we've had again this autumn and it's generally a fairly transient thing the bleaching we see from pre-ems like dff aclonifen flufenacet because of wash through of those actives the crop usually grows away from that it looks a bit of a until the new leaves start to come out and leave that yellowing bleaching behind but generally looks worse than it is the problem comes where the seeds themselves were exposed and got hit directly by flufenacet aclonifen pendimethylin triolate as i've said before that can be far more damaging and in some cases terminal to the affected seed so get that seed deep enough make sure it's well covered that's the most important thing and you really can't do much more than that if you're planning to delay the preems though and you're on black grassland then the risk of damage from herbicide uptake is way lower than the risk of not putting on that herbicide within those first four or five days after drilling and ending up with a crop that's full of blackgrass. We have so few post-end blackgrass options these days. So if you don't get your pre-em on within three to five days of drilling, that flash of UV light that you put into the seedbed from the drill will set that blackgrass off. And once the roots start to move away and down the profile, you'll chase it and watch it until harvest. If you are unavoidably delayed and you don't get your pre-em on because of the weather, 
if the crops emerge when you do get to spray it, just check with your advisor that it's still safe to go post them. Check the growth stages just in case any of those doses need changing. Plenty of broadleaf weeds coming through as well then, particularly in the emerge crops on the lighter land where pre-ems aren't generally the norm. We can't use hormones, of course, in the autumns anymore. So fluorasulam, very good on brassica weed, mayweed, groundsel, shepherd's purse, volunteer beans. But for me, you know, unless volunteer beans are swamping the crop, I tend to leave them until the spring. If you add fluoroxypa to fluorasulam in things like spitfire, you bring chickweed and cleavers. Picolinophen, very good on poppies, shepherd's purse, ivy leaf speedwell. And of course, flufenister, still very good post them on grass weeds and broadleaf weeds. So do check the labels and speak to your advisor about calendar date and growth stage cutoffs. Quite different to the maximum total dose, by the way. Maximum individual dose, maximum total dose, different things. One definition of the maximum total dose is the total dose of any product that contains the same active ingredient. So be careful and always read your labels and be warned. You know, you can put up to 125 grams per hectare active maximum total dose of DFF on, for example. You can put a maximum total dose of 2,000 grams of pendomethylene on, 240 grams individual dose maximum of flufenicet on any individual application. But you can put 480 grams of flufenicet on as a maximum total dose. So you get the picture and it can be complicated. There are multiples of these actives as component parts in several different products. Just make sure that you know what you're using and that you are safe and legal. Slug damage increasing again in cereals and oilseed rape in these conditions. So do keep your guard up. Cabbage stem flea beetle larvae all over the place in oilseed rape. Cabbage root fly, far more widespread than we've seen for a few years too. There are three types of larvae, by the way, that you'll find in rape. If they're headless and legless, then they're flies, and that'll be cabbage root fly. If they have a definite head and no legs, they'll be weevils, and that'll be rape winter stem weevil. And if they have a head and three pairs of legs, they'll be beetles. So that's the cabbage stem flea beetle larvae. Just know what you're looking at and what you're dealing with. Clethodim, of course, in rape needs to be on now. It's been delayed by the weather over the last week or 10 days, and the fact that it has to go on to a dry blackgrass leaf two hours dry after application as well. You know, that's all very complicated now, but it does need to be on by the 31st of October as per the latest labelled application timing. The FOMA threshold on a variety with a resistance rating of seven or less will be one plant in 10, 10% has a FOMA leaf lesion. Varieties with a resistance rating greater than seven, that drops down to one plant in five or 20%. And do also remember that small plants are at the highest risk from FOMA getting into the stem canker phase because it's a lot quicker for the spores to get from the leaf down to the stem in a smaller plant. If you've still got to drill, by the way, winter barley, hybrid rye, in particular, you should prioritise those. The latest drill timing for drilling rye will be the end of October. So seed rates should also be tailored to fit the likely conditions you're going to find. We should be aiming to establish between 250, 275 plants a square metre of winter wheat up to the end of October, then up again to around 300 established plants per square metre for week of November. Calculate your seed rates based on your thousand seed weight and germination. Quite important that. Don't just have a guess at it. It's thousand seed weight multiplied by target plants per square metre divided by the percentage germination multiplied by 1.1 for 10% field losses, 1.15 for 15% field losses, etc. Winter barley seed rate varies depending on whether it's conventional or hybrid. Conventional drillings now, you want to be about 325 up to 375 or so for plants per 
per square metre established. For hybrid, it'll be 240 to 260 plants per square metre or so established target. Much higher winter losses in winter barley than in winter wheat, so do bear that in mind. Right, look, I'm off to pray for some nice weather, so strap yourselves in. I think it's going to be a sticky and bumpy ride. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. Thanks as ever, Sean. Lincolnshire Rural Support Network provides a much-needed service to the county, a service becoming more and more necessary, it seems. Following a very successful AGM last week, we catch up with charity manager Amy Thomas in a moment, along with a look at the potato, livestock and grain markets, plus the week's weather. Spoiler alert, the low pressure continues, so you know what that means. The Farming Programme, with our equipped steel stockholders, with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. This is the Farming Programme podcast. I'm Steve Orchard. A few days ago, along with over 200 others from the Lincolnshire rural community, I went to the Epic Centre at the showground for the annual meeting of the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, at which charity manager Amy Thomas looked back at another busy year and forward to where LRSN goes next. Amy, before we hear a bit about your year and your plans, for those who don't know, tell us a bit about what LRSN actually does. So we provide um, support to anyone um, in Lincolnshire. And when we say Lincolnshire, we mean uh, Humber to the Wash. So right the way across the whole of Greater Lincolnshire um, to anyone within the farming, agricultural industry or allied industries. So gamekeepers, vets, you know, you name it. Uh, If there's a connection there, um, we will support them. And that support is quite holistic, which is a word that I think is, is a tricky word, isn't it? But really what we mean by that is that whatever a person's problem is we will try and work with them to find a way through that and very often people approach us with one thing you know it might be that you know they're they're suffering with anxiety and they can't sleep when we go in and we start talking to them we will start to unpick that and it might be that there's a, a business issue there that's been causing the anxiety and worry and so we're able to to work on the level of helping that individual with their well-being, but also then helping them to address the challenges and issues that are causing their well-being to to suffer. And that's what we mean by holistic. So that's our one-to-one support. But we also do quite a lot of physical health support for people as well. Um, So we have uh, nurses who work with us and do health health screening checks where we know we're going to catch farmers. Is it really health focused or are you looking at things like financial advice and help? You name it, we do it, (laughs) really. Uh, So, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we are a health and wellbeing support organisation. But really what what makes us very different is that we tackle the root causes. So the things that cause someone to feel stressed or or to to be concerned about their well-being. And very often they are business and finance and debt or a family and and succession, particularly in farming, is always an issue. Um, Very often they are those more business type challenges and and our caseworkers are able to work uh, with clients to address all of those issues and we we would match people up depending on what the challenges were so is it a case that if somebody think you know has a problem talk to you first of all even if it's something you can't directly necessarily help with you'll have contacts and connections to point them in the right direction Oh, absolutely. Both in the sort of business sector, we're very blessed. Actually, we have loads of friends of of LRSN, you know, organisations and companies who support us. So if we don't know, we will always know someone who might. Um, And similarly, we're well connected within the health sector in Lincolnshire as well. So if it's not a health issue we can help with, we can signpost people, we can help them handhold them into the services that they need. 
And of course, you get out and about with your health hut, don't you? We do. That's just over it. Oh, it must be a year and a half on the road now. We launched it in February last year and it, it's essentially a clinic on, on wheels. It's a trailer that's been converted for our nurses and we take it out into more remote areas, into arable areas where uh, our clinics aren't held um, and our nurses offer health screening and it's been an absolutely wonderful success. Uh, I think it's helped us in lots of ways, both in terms of reaching people who need health checks delivering a lot more health checks, uh, but also I think in getting our name out there um, and helping people who who don't know about us uh, find out a little bit more. And you're going to places like markets and sales, aren't you? We are, we are. We're, we're trying to, to be as inventive as possible. So we, we do uh, ploughing match, farm sales. We do some of the shows. Obviously, we do the big county show. Uh, we'll be at Midlands Machinery Show uh, next month. Um, we've done all sorts of things, sheep sales, machinery sales, um, you name it. Uh, we've had the health up there and we aim for just over 20 events with that a year. And you're out regularly at the Louth livestock market, aren't you? We are. We do have uh, three permanent clinic bases where you'll find our nurses every other week. Um, we're at Louth Livestock Market, at Spalding Horticultural Auction and also now at Melton Mowbray Market. That's a new clinic that, that we, we launched last September um, because we know that if you're in the south of Lincolnshire, actually Melton Market's much closer for you than, than, than anywhere else. Um, so, so, yes, so we are permanently there and we do have those clinic dates published on our website. Now, let's talk about the AGM because you had a very successful AGM, record numbers attending last week, loads of money raised for charity, but it gave you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about what's happened in the year. So do you want to give us a quick pricey of your very well-received speech? from the night. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was phenomenal. We had 225 in the room, I think, which is the most we have ever had. And we were just absolutely overwhelmed by the support that people showed us. Um, and we, we did raise a good amount of money. But for me, it's more about the awareness raising, you know, telling people what we've done, but also where we're going. So we were really excited to launch our new strategic plan, new five-year plan at the AGM last week. We gave people a summary of that and talked about some of our primary focus around continuing to deliver what we know we do really well um, and focusing on health and well-being but we also touched on you know the impact that we've had you know what we've recorded over the last financial year and what we're seeing so um, we'd seen a, a sort of a, a 31% increase in new case volumes so that was 216 families we worked with on an intensive one-to-one -one basis last year on a real range of issues what people found most interesting was that we were able to see a real rise in business finance debt related problems uh, no doubt related partly back to the kind of economic and financial crisis that we've all been navigating but also a real increase in family and relationship challenges and I think that really goes hand in hand loneliness is a real issue we know that um, and, and that really doesn't help but we'd also seen a, a continuing rise in mental health cases uh, it's a 229 percent increase across the last five years which is really very concerning um, and we are seeing far greater number of people who when they come to us the problems they come with are more complex so there's more going on um, but also quite often people are at crisis point when they they come to us uh, which does worry us and then the helpline 
been so much busier and uh, 90% increase in core volumes which is astounding partly I think because we've been out there we've you know the health hut has been out there as we said uh, you know that's got the helpline number all over it which is fantastic but we've also been sort of giving out wristbands you know the charity rubber wristbands to young farmers and rice home college to try and get younger people aware of what we're doing and yeah just really trying to get the word out there about what we do and how to get in touch if you need help. It's a strange, almost a dichotomy, really, isn't it? That it's great that your awareness is growing. It's great that people know about you. Uh, but it's sad that your services are called on more and more by the looks of it. It is. It, it, it's a real challenge because on one way, we, you know, it's fantastic to celebrate that we're reaching the people who need us and we're making a difference to people's lives. But at the same point, it's really sad that people do need to reach out for support. But, you know, reaching out for support is always the hardest bit. Um, you know, once, once you've, you've done that and you've asked for help, then, you know, the help is there and we can begin to chat, you know, deal with those challenges together. Yeah. And you've made a big, big step by actually making that call in the first place. So Definitely. what have the future what are what are the plans in place you mentioned a strategic business plan but what's uh, what's in the pipeline for LRSN so we you know we've had a huge number of new volunteers in the last financial year so we we're now up to 55 but we are still seeking volunteers so that's a big takeaway uh, from the AGM and the strategic plan is that we do still have gaps in our volunteering numbers definitely on the helpline we'd love some more call handlers uh, but also you know we're being seen more we're out at more events we could do with people to help us at those events that's the fun end of it really as well it we want to continue the health hack we want to continue the the new market at Melton they're both real successful successes but really what we want to do is just really continue to get the word out there we want to concentrate on what we know we do well um, and sort of strengthening through sort of making sure that we're efficiently run that we're, we're doing you know as much fundraising as possible so that we can continue to sustain our services into the future you know we know that a lot of the people we support are very vulnerable so it's important to us and to them that our services are sustainable that they can rely on us it's it's difficult isn't it when you're at something like the AGM or other meetings that you're asking people for money to support the charity but your work costs a fair bit of money to provide it does and and you know part of that and a good chunk of that is staff costs um you know we're, we're always very upfront about that but that's because we you know we have uh professionals in posts so we have a mental health with two mental health nurses out actually our health and well-being well-being lead is a mental health nurse uh, as is one of our caseworkers um and, and obviously our nurses are all you know uh qualified um registered nurses and it's very important to us that the, the quality of the service that we provide is is as people would want and expect um, and that we're always focusing on improvement so yes it does cost a, a fair amount to run any charity really um, and it is important to us to be able to make sure that we have the income in place to guarantee our services for people. There's quite a few people support you in lots of different ways not just making donations we have people running and doing marathons and fundraising in that way uh, lots of stuff going on to support LRSN. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I'm, I'm always astounded by the ideas people come up with and the things that they do to help us. And we appreciate everything, whether that be raising some money at a coffee morning or, you know, something bigger. Maybe um, we, we have a lot of companies and professionals who volunteer their services to our caseworkers so that they know they can ring up and say, help, I've got this problem. I'm not quite sure how to tackle it right the way through to simply just passing our helpline cards or wristbands on to somebody who might need help our help so 
people support is, is so valuable to us and it comes in all sorts of forms and there's really no wrong way to help us <laughs> as an organization absolutely no well a busy year that you've just had i guess it's probably going to be at least as busy if not busier uh, in the year and the years to come where do we go for more information about all aspects of lrsn then amy uh, so the easiest place is the website, uh, which is lrsn.co.uk. Um, but uh, if you need help and, and you want to call our helpline, the number for that is 0800 138 1710. All right, Amy, well, more power to your collective elbow at LRSN. May you continue to provide your wonderful service uh, to the rural community of Lincolnshire. Amy Thomas, Head of Charity at LRSN, thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thanks, Steve. Lynx FM Farming. Market reports. Starting this week with potatoes. PJP Potatoes' Colin Jackson joins us. Good morning, Colin. Yeah, good morning. How's the market looking for potatoes at the moment? Still quite buoyant. Prices are holding quite well. We're in the situation where most of the green top harvest is now done, so potatoes are being put into store. Farmers will tend to take a little bit more persuading to actually turn around and grade potatoes, you know, when they're concentrating on other things. So that's helped to just bump the price up a little bit on certain sectors. Certainly the frying sector has seen increases of 20 or 30 pounds a tonne over this last couple of weeks. So yeah, prices are still maintaining very nicely. So does that mean my uh, Saturday night fish and chips are going to be cost me more soon well they're not going back up to the levels that we've seen previously i mean they're still quite a bit down on there and as we all know the fish and chip prices went up <laughs> in the sort of late spring and into the early summer and so no there's, there's no reason to see that going up because i don't know about you i haven't seen many prices coming down again as the as the price of spuds has come down so uh, so no i would suggest that no they won't be going up anymore no prices only ever tend to go in one direction don't they how was the harvest <laughs> they do yeah, the harvest has actually been pretty good. Earlier on in the summer, it looked like it was going to be uh, quite a poor harvest, but we obviously saw quite decent rainfall over the summer and some good late season growth. You know, warmth stayed with us. Even to now, you know, we've seen, had a few cool nights, but uh, warming up again, you know, as we're into the weekend. So, yeah, growth has actually been good at the end of the season. So we're seeing, I would have said, average or just below average yields, but certainly, um, you know, nothing to be alarmed about. Okay, and how about the crop in the ground? How's that looking? Yeah, I mean, it's all coming out in fairly good order. Obviously, things are getting a bit wet now. That's probably the biggest thing. Clearance in certain areas is sort of up at around probably 70%. So there's still a good percentage of crop, particularly down in the sort of Cambridgeshire Fens, that area, left to harvest. And we will want some sort of fairly favourable conditions through the end of this month and uh, into sort of November really to make sure that we get everything uh, you know in in good order lovely thanks a lot for the update Colin nice to talk to you again and you yep cheers bye-bye how's the livestock market done this week from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market Henry Simpson good morning Henry good morning Stephen welcome to another weekly roundup from the Louth Livestock Market starting off with the sheep with the prime lambs saw a larger entry of prime lambs this week compared to last with the very best lambs achieving them top top prices this week saw an SQQ of 256.64 pence per kilo and an all-in average of 251.42 pence per kilo. Top in again goes to D&G Rolls of Oasby to £139 per head and also to JB and UD Walker of Ravendale to 282 pence per kilo. Honourable mentions go to Todd Farming selling to a £137 per head and also to Otby House Farming to 280 pence per kilo. 
Moving on to the cool use, which saw a smaller entry this week, saw an average per head of £82.16, with a top price from Chris Foster of Market Raisin to £134 per head. That wraps up the sheep, and now moving on to the cattle. Starting off with the prime cattle with the prime heifers, all in averaging 256.71 pence per kilo. With top of the day going to WH Jakes and son of Adelthorpe to £1,747 per head. And also to John Scully of Bournemouth to 301 pence per kilo. There's also a few OTMs entered this week, which saw an all in average of 143.88 pence per kilo. Which saw a top of the day from H Bray and son of South Willingham to £1,401 per head and from R. Carlton and son of Hatton to 157 pence per kilo. A big thank you to everyone that supports the market week in, week out. And just a reminder, we are selling in tomorrow and taking entries weekly for all prime and cool cows, as well as prime, cool and store sheep. So please don't hesitate to contact the team for all marketing options and inquiries. This has been Henry Simpson from the Mason Drill team. Thank you. And to the grain markets now with Open Fields, Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. Finally, we were able to quote some better prices midweek due to stronger numbers posted late on Wednesday evening. Thursday saw the markets consolidate a little in both France and the UK. The main reason for the climb in global numbers has come from a couple of different sources. It has been widely reported that the Ukrainian vessels carting out of Odessa towards China following the recent business done between the two has stopped. Quite why this has happened is open to debate. It may just have paused, but if it has stopped for any other reason, then it's likely this business will have to get filled from elsewhere. Widely reported also, but not confirmed, has been a potential deal with further forward trades, not spot business, between Russia and China over the coming years. 70 million tonnes of agricultural goods are the numbers being quoted. Trade flows might change in the future years, and if agreement is made, new relationships are formed with other countries. In the short term, though, nothing will change. What we are also seeing from China is some flash buying. China's wheat imports are reported to be 55% higher than last year. Some global demand, finally. In the UK, we remain followers of the global marketplace. We have not become net exporters over the last couple of days, sadly, so we are reliant on outside markets to move us higher. Midweek, we have seen further evidence of a pull from some of our northern homes. That just could give us some more demand, with the other markets being dragged along in the absence of any export business. What the two ethanol plants and the one starch plant take in the coming months could be crucial for the rest of the season. You will have seen that the Nov 24 and May 25 positions have also firmed a little in the last two days. This is also not a market for everybody, particularly if wet weather has prevented how much we have drilled in the first place. A quick note on the rapeseed market, which has rallied a little in the last couple of days until Thursday's sell-off, blamed on Ukrainian imports. Some more flash sales announced today also. Some guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat, October 175 to 185, February 185 to 195 and May 195 to 205, with Group 1 milling premium still holding at around 60 to 70 pounds. Feed barley, November 150 to 116, and May 155 to 165. Full seed rape, October 345 to 355, and December 350 to 360. As usual, please call for firm values. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. The low pressure continues, bringing another unsettled week. Light rain and light southwesterlies today. Highs of 12 Celsius, mostly dry for Monday. Similar temperatures and the rain returns with a vengeance on Tuesday with daytime highs a couple of degrees warmer. Light southerlies continuing into the second half of the week with more light rain, but some sun and daytime temperatures in the mid-teens. Overnight lows between 8 and 10 all week. 
If you're attending the Lincoln Harvest Festival later, look forward to seeing you at the Cathedral at three. Do come and say hello. We'll have a cuppa and a bit of a chat afterwards. Next week, we'll meet the winners at Thursday's British Farming Awards and look ahead to a couple of events coming soon. Now, you may be aware of changes to the lineup on Lynx FM. Just wanted to reassure you that the Farming Programme podcast continues as it always has, available anytime from 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning, online, the free Lynx FM app, all podcast platforms, and if you've got a smart speaker, ask it to play the latest Farming Programme. Oh, and don't forget, there's always more content, longer interviews, and more from the week's news on the online podcast version of the programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week, then, have a good one. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.